Amen. Thank you, ladies. Open your Bibles again to our text passage of Mark chapter 12. We will walk through this passage this morning. <coughs> we'll look at two other passages as I go through the message in the Old Testament and the book of Deuteronomy. I've been preaching 37, almost 38 years, and every now and again I am reminded and I come to a keen awareness of just how much I need the Lord to accomplish the task that is before me today. I've been standing up to preach every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and a majority of every Monday night and Tuesday night for a good number of years. But as I see the condition of the world and the, and the hopelessness in our world and the need that we have so much for Christ and the gospel and the word of God, I realize that we cannot waste a single moment of time in church on Sunday morning. Boy, we need what's going on right now. We need the Word of God, and I pray that God will help us this morning. I want you to pray for me as I preach this morning. I'm going to pray out loud. If you pray for me, I'd appreciate that as I preach the Word of God this morning. Heavenly Father, I, I need you so very much as I preach the Word of God. And I understand every service and every sermon is important. And yet, Lord, there are times that there just seems to be an extra weight of understanding that what I preach today is so important for children and teens and adults alike. And, Lord, our only hope is you. It seems that we're drifting further and further from the shore, so far from the truth. And, oh, how we need to get anchored again to the Word of God. And I pray that you'd bless in the preaching of this message and a powerful passage of Scripture. I pray that we can go away saying the Word of God has been real for me and has helped me this morning. And I pray that would be the case and you would be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to preach this morning on the subject, a concise summary of Christianity. And I'd like for us to go into... Uh, the event of what's going on here in our passage of Scripture. The Lord Jesus has been reasoning with the Sadducees about how to live and about life. A lawyer was eavesdropping. He was listening, but he wasn't a part of the conversation. He was just listening to what was going on. And as Jesus reasoned with the Sadducees and he gave them answers to their questions, this lawyer was so impressed with the answers that Christ gave. Oh, how I wish we could be impressed with the answers of the Scripture. Oh, how I wish we could be impressed with just the words of Christ. He was so impressed. He said, uh, in fact, he used the word well twice, that Jesus had answered well, or he'd answered correctly. Even the word beautiful is a part of the definition of that word well. He had answered the, the Sadducees so well that this lawyer asked Jesus a question. Jesus' answer then goes to the heart of what it means to be a Christian, and not only what it means to be a Christian, but what it means to worship and serve God. And Jesus' answer teaches us how, to, how, how God expects us to live our lives. And these verses connect loving God with loving others. Not necessarily others that we know. Not necessarily others that love us. But he connects loving God with loving others. 
And the conversation is divided into three parts in helping us to understand it. First of all, a question is asked. Second of all, the question is answered. And third of all, the answer is applied. And that's what I like about Jesus' answers. Jesus' answers are not just for a head knowledge. They're to help our feet. How we live, how we, how we serve, what we do in life. And we're not supposed to come to church, as James says, just to learn more, but to do more. Are you with me this morning? Not just to learn more, but to do more. Notice, first of all, the question is asked. We'll look at verse number 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment? Of all. Now let's look at some of what's going on here. The title scribe meant that he was a lawyer. That meant he knew the law. He specialized in interpreting the law. Now the law he's talking about is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what he's talking about. So he specializes in that. He knows how to interpret. He understands a scribe is one who, uh, they were the copy machines. Uh, uh, there was no copying machine, so they would handwrite copies uh, of the law. And so he didn't just write it. He knew it. He understood it. And he interpreted the law. And this scribe said that Jesus had answered the Sadducees so well that he wanted to ask him a question which was a common question of that day. And here's what he asked him. Which is the first commandment of all? Which is the first? Now the word first is also the word greatest. Which is the one that represents all of the law. Now this was a common area of discussion between religious Jews. The Jewish scribes and rabbis, they had identified 613 commandments in the law. In those five books, they identified 600 commandments of the law. They were divided, first of all, into two parts, positive and negative. There were uh, 248 positive and 365 negative. Here what I, here's what I mean by that. The positive were love God, uh, honor your parents. Uh, keep the Sabbath day holy. Those were things that you were supposed to do. Then there were the negative side of the law or the things that they were not supposed to do. Uh, not supposed to covet. Not supposed to uh, bear false witness. Not supposed to uh, do that list of things. And there were 365 that were identified as negative. Uh, 248 as positive. Now the scribes could never agree on which commandments were the most, uh, the most important and they loved to debate the law. So the scribes or lawyers would get together and they would say, I'll tell you what the most important law is. Another would respond, no, that's not the most important. This is the most important. And they would debate back and forth as to why, which law was the most important. And they were trying to figure that out. And it was just a constant conversation with them. Now, beside that, they also tried to spend time, or they spent time trying to come up with a one sentence or one statement summary of the whole law. Now we all do that. We like to summarize things and say a lot and one and, and you like it when preachers do that. 
and, and when we summarize things and not go into the detail. Uh, but but they, would, they would look for one sentence or one statement that would summarize the law. Now, this lawyer heard Jesus talking to the Sadducees. And he said, this is a smart man. I think he can settle the debate. And, and he wanted the answer so he could go to his friends and tell them, I found the one sentence or the one statement that can summarize all the law. And I know which is the first. I know which one is the greatest. And so he asked Jesus a question and he asked him, what is the first commandment? Are you with me so far in the message today? Second of all, Jesus answers the question. And that's verses 29 through 31. Let's look at the verses. And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. But Jesus doesn't stop. And then he says this, And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So Jesus begins his response by quoting the scripture. I'm going to give you a Hebrew word, and that is the word shema or shema. S-H-E-M-A. Shema, shema. I carry in my pocket three by five cards, and uh, I, I do this. In fact, it's a habit, and rather than using a cell phone, electronic, I keep notes uh, on three by five cards. Now, on Sunday morning, I go through them, uh, separate them on my desk. Some of them are to-do lists. Uh, some, many of them are prayer requests, and some of them are reminders of things to do. Some of them are scripture, and there's a half a dozen different scripture that I wrote down on a piece of paper this week uh, that, uh, that, that, that I'm either working on a sermon or that scripture is working on me. That's what scripture is for, is to work on us. It's not just to know it, it's so the scripture can work on me. And so they would take strips of paper called Shema and shimmas, and they would write down the law or different statements of the law on those little pieces of paper. Then they would put them into a little leather pouch. They called it a box, and it was called a phylactery. How many of you ever heard that word phylactery? If you've ever been in a Jewish area or a Jewish region, you may have seen a Jewish rabbi wearing a phylactery on his forehead. And they would take a, a leather box and with a strap on it, uh, rather than like a patch on your eye, it would it just, a, just a strap. You, you, you can look at pictures of it in just a little leather box. And they would, they would take those little pieces of paper, and as I would, instead of putting them in my pocket, they take them little pieces of paper, and they put those in the phylacteries. Now, this is something that's taught in the Old Testament. The phylacteries were tied on the forearms and they were put even on the forehead. Uh, look at Matthew 23 and verse number 5. Matthew 23 verse number 5. Now the reason they did this was to remind them of the laws of God. That's why they were there, all right? Uh, Matthew 23 verse number 5. But all their works they do for to be seen of men... They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the border of their garments. He said, some of you don't wear the scripture 
You don't put the shema in the, uh, in the phylactery. You don't take the scripture. Uh, you don't put it on your forehead or put it in the border of your garment so you can read it. You do it so others could say, there's a person that loves God. Sometimes they had no idea what the scripture was. They just carried it like Christians do carrying their Bible, but they never read it. I, I did come to preach this morning, right? And so, and, and so sometimes uh, uh, they would do what Christians do today. And the Bible says this, Deuteronomy 6, 8, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thy eyes. So they would wear it just right here on their head. I've seen it many times of Jews of being in and out of New York and different places like that. The shimmers were also placed, little pieces of paper, in a round box called a mezuzah, M-E-Z-U-Z-A-H, and placed on all the doors of the home. Uh, and at our houses, many of us, we have a mailbox on the front of our house. Uh, they had a mezuzah on the front of their house, and inside that was scripture verses, the Old Testament law. They, they, they were supposed to read it every day and they were reminded when they went into the house, I belong to God. When they came out of the house, they were reminded, I belong to God. When they put on their, on their phylactery on their head or they put it on the borders of their garment, it was to remind them, I'm a child of God. I'm supposed to live holy. I'm supposed to live right. I'm supposed to obey the law. Now, now remember, there's 613 of these, and this fellow has asked Jesus, which is the first one? Which is the most important one? That's the question he asked. Now, he wanted to win an argument. He wanted to go and say, I met this fellow they call the Messiah. I met this fellow that says he is the Messiah, and he gave me the answer, and so that's, what, that's what's going on. I want, you to, I want you to take your Bibles and go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 because what they were supposed to know and supposed to do not only was important, it is important. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Today, we have a Bible. We don't carry uh, shimmers or you may carry a piece of paper as I do, uh, pieces of paper, but we carry a Bible. And we're not supposed to carry, this is not a part of our decoration. It is a part of our identity, but its purpose is to tell us how to live. Are you with me this morning? And so, so notice what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. What we talk about today is baseball and Disney movies and everything else, and I wonder how many parents actually teach their children scriptures to memorize. And when thou walkest by the way, see when thou sittest in thine house, the average Christian spends his time watching television, but the Bible says that we're supposed to read the word of God at home. And when thou liest down and when thou risest up, boy, it's serious, isn't it? All the time. Look at verse 8. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. They shall be as frontlets between thy eyes or on the forehead. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and upon thy gates. Notice chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse number 13. And it shall come to pass if thou shalt, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, if you hearken to my commandments, which I command you this day, 
to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Notice this, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season. The first rain and the latter rain thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle that thou mayest eat and be full. Now wait a minute. This is very important to understand because God is not a religious person or figurine. This God is a God of heaven. He's the one that controls when and where it rains. He's the one that controls the blessings and the bounty of the field. And he connects, he, he, he connects our love for God and our service to God to the blessings we have. I contend this morning that America was more blessed to end the days when the Bible was its guide rather than the conscience being our guide or some wickedness being our guide. There was a day that America did not borrow money but it had a bounty of money to loan and we are a house of cards today in trouble because we're so far away from doing what the Bible says to do. Now, the Lord Jesus is answering the question, and he begins in the traditional way, and he says exactly, and I, I want you to see it in the Old Testament because that's what Jesus is quoting. I had a fellow this past week, he said, I don't use the Old Testament anymore. I said, I said, why? He said, because it's old and outdated. I said, what do you do with all those verses where Jesus quoted the Old Testament? You get rid of that too? Are you telling me Jesus preached from the Old Testament, but I can't? Jesus brought the Old Testament into our day. Those are the truths that we live by. And he begins in the traditional way. And he tells him we're to love the Lord our God. And then verses 30 and 31, he begins to give the detail as is given in the Old Testament. Now this is for us today. He says, thou shalt love. Now, the word love here is an agape love. That's a, not just an intelligent love. It's a love on purpose, and it's a love committed. It is an act of the will. It's more than a phileo love, which is just emotional love and a tender affection. It is a love that God loved us with. And when he is describing that we're to love our neighbor as ourself, he is saying here, you ought to love others with the love that God loved you with to give you eternal life. And then he says this, Thou shalt love the Lord. This is a word that speaks of one who owns another. Lord means master. Thou shalt love the Lord. You know, God is not a genie that we take out of a box and say, Lord, I'm hurting. Could you help my hurt? And as soon as you get rid of my pain and problem, I'm going to put you right back in the box. That's not what the Bible says he is. He's not a prayer genie. He's the Lord. He's the one that we go to on Monday morning when we feel good and all is well and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live today? That's what he's saying. This man asked Jesus, which is the first commandment? And Jesus gives him a real answer. He said, thou shalt love the Lord. And then he says, thy God. This speaks of our saving relationship with God Almighty. This is salvation. He said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. That refers to the core of our physical beings. When we love something, we want to fellowship with it. When we love something, we want to know more about it. And he's saying here that we're to love God. And folks, if we love God like 
like we're supposed to love God, He doesn't have a place in our life. He has the first and foremost place in our life. He's our Lord. He's our Master. With all thy heart. And then He says, with all thy soul. The word soul refers to the seed of the emotions and the will. Our love for Him should be a love that is not just a love of decision, but a love that we feel and that we know that we love Him. Friend, can I tell you something? We don't understand love as the Bible talks about. We, 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 we talk about in our world an emotional love, how we feel, and those feelings change. But this kind of love is a decision. I decided to love God. I, I, I decided I'm not letting anything between me and my love for God. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to put him first and foremost in my life. Why? Because he is a God that not only gave me life, he's a God that gave me eternal life. He's a God that sends the rain from heaven. He's a God that gives new life and, 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 and children, and he gives new life in animals and gives us our food to eat. That's the God we're supposed to love. Jesus is answering him, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. It refers to the intellect. As we understand who God is, as he revealed in his word, we respond to that by focusing on worshiping him. And not just in church, but worshiping God with our lips and with our lives. And then he says, with all thy strength speaks of our might, our power, and our abilities. You see, the Jews quoted the Shema twice a day. You see, the, the law, it was in scrolls. It, it, it was in big scrolls. And, and they would take those pieces of paper and they would fold them and put them in the phylactery boxes and around their waist and around the hem of their garment. And they weren't supposed to just wear them. They were supposed to read them in the morning and read them in the evening. And every one of them reminded them of a behavior that they were supposed to have toward God. Don't miss it. They thought they were expressing their love to the Lord by reading those papers. But Jesus doesn't stop with the answer of loving God. He applies the answer. And that's what he does in verse 31. He said, you can say you love God. You can read a piece of paper. You can read a scripture. You can sing a song. But the way you love God is found in verse number 31. To love him and the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. This fellow didn't ask what the second one was. He just asked what the first one was. But the first one was the answer. The second was the application of the answer. He said, you, wanna, you want to know that you love me? then go find somebody in need and the way you love me is helping him meet his spiritual need and helping him meet his spiritual need and helping him. And so I'm not loving God today. I'm learning how to love God. And when I leave this building today and I find someone in spiritual need, that's how I let God know I love him by loving them. You see, God so loved the world that he gave. 
And he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus is telling him, I'm not trying to win an argument. I'm trying to make you a good Christian. And the way that you love God is you love your neighbor. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, the first way to love a neighbor is to give them the gospel of salvation. To tell folks that there is a payment for sin that Christ has made. Do you hear me this morning? If I'm going to love God, I have to find a neighbor. In our Sunday school lesson, we answered the question from another lawyer that asked the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus basically said, everybody in need. And anybody that doesn't know Christ as Savior is a neighbor in need and needs the gospel. And it's my job to get the gospel to everybody I can. Are you with me this morning? So how do I do that? I get the gospel. I get the gospel out with gospel tracts. I get the gospel out. A fellow asked me this week, and I mentioned this in Sunday school. He said, what do Baptists believe? And I said, well, let, let's, let's not talk about what Baptists or, or, or Mormons, and he named a couple others. Let's not talk about what they believe. Let's talk about what the Bible says. And we began with the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. And all of us have a sin debt because the wages of sin is death. In Revelation chapter 20, the Bible says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But the Bible says not only is the wages of sin death, but, but the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God gave his son to die on the cross to pay for your sin and mine. And the way you become a Christian or the way you receive eternal life, the way you gain heaven is to accept by faith Jesus' payment for your sin. The man said to me, he said, that's very interesting. I've never heard that before. Folks, loving your neighbor is telling folks that God loves them for the purpose of giving them eternal life. The bus ministry to reach children and young people who have no one to tell them about Christ and no one to take them to church that's loving your neighbor. Yesterday, my wife and I were at the property at 3,000. Some of our buses ran yesterday. It was a blessing to see not only the many workers, but to see scores of children that were playing games and they're going to class. And the most important thing is when they sat down in front of a teacher and a teacher opened the word of God to try to impart to them the truth of the gospel and the truths of this book. Do you understand how little and how few times that's being done in our world today? Hey, folks, that's what church is about. Church is not about just us gathering as a group and say, I went to church today, I went to tell God I love him. When this Pharisee, or when this scribe asked Jesus, uh, what's the great commandment? What's the first commandment? He said, love God. And then he said, the way you show your love for God is to love your neighbor. Our missionaries are winning people to Christ. Brother Rob and Myra, as I mentioned early this morning, on their way back from Africa, they met scores of people who had never heard the gospel of Christ. And, and he said, preacher, it's just overwhelming to talk to people that have never heard the gospel and to tell them and to say, would you like to pray and receive Christ as Savior? And to see them sometimes a hundred people at a time bow their head and call on Christ as their Savior. 
that's the work of the church is to send a missionary to a place where they've never heard the gospel. The way you love God is to love your neighbor. That's the person in need. Jesus put two commandments together to give a summary of the entire law. He said, love God and love your neighbor. Pretty simple, isn't it? But not easy to do. Because we get so busy in the cares of life. I'm not saying those are not important. They are. We're supposed to care for our families. We're supposed to work. We're supposed to care for our families. We're supposed to care for our church. We're supposed to do that. Oh, but dear friend, if you and I want to love God, we've got to find and take advantage of the opportunity to love your neighbor. I'll just read a verse to you. I'm finished preaching. I'm out of time this morning. Paul said the same thing to the church at Corinth. Here's what he said in 2 Corinthians 1, 4. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Aren't you glad for the day you heard the gospel of Christ? Now, it's our job to tell somebody else, God loves you. He wants you to have eternal life. When Jesus was finished, the scribe gave a response, the same as he did about the first response. The Bible says he responded to him well, or that's a beautiful answer. Well, master, thou hast said the truth. You know what's interesting? Jesus said to him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. He said, you know the truth now. Are you willing to receive it? I want you to stand with me this morning. I'm finished preaching. I wonder if every person in this room, I wonder if there's been a day that you prayed to receive Christ as your personal Savior. If there hasn't been that day and time, you don't remember that time. I'm not talking about the particular day or day of the week, but you don't remember that time that you said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I receive you as my Savior. I beg you today, do that today. And then those of you that have done that, let's do our best to give somebody else the gospel this week because every time I do, I'm loving God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use my feeble attempt to preach this morning to accomplish your will in this hour. Lord, I feel so overwhelmed with the need of our nation today. I feel so overwhelmed by the condition of sin and its destruction in our world today. Lord, the only hope, the only hope is the church, the Christians in the church, reaching every boy and girl and teenager and man and woman that we can with the gospel of Christ. Help us not just to sing it. Help us not just to say it. Help us to live it out by letting others know that Christ died for them. Bless our invitation this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He's going to sing the invitation song. The altar is open. Perhaps you have a need. Perhaps you have a burden you want to come to the altar and pray about. Perhaps you come and say, Lord, help me to love you like I should. And show me the opportunities I have to be of help to others. You're here this morning. You don't know Christ as Savior. Please trust him this morning.
here and you've been saved but you haven't followed the Lord in believer's baptism, you ought to follow him in believer's baptism and let the folks know that you're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ that has given to you salvation.